totally football show. Today, heated battles, heated bottles, and a weekend at full throttle. At Old Trafford, tears over thrown milk as Mank commanders collide. Merseyside Derby, the biggest starting 11 controversy since Nigel Tufnell's amp. We speak to the man who didn't turn down Klopp's volume. Then, bring the moys. West Ham chump the champions. What can they do midweek against Arsenal? There's football league news, foreign league news, the Kai Bosch for Peter Bosch, and Juve Inter, like David Davies' impact assessments, eagerly awaited, but in the end, nothing but a pair of clean sheets. Plus, Champions League and Europa League draws Arsenal, Ostersunds, Real Madrid, PSG, Chelsea, Barcelona, all that kind of thing. It's all coming up in the Totally Football Show. Some people don't use their best talent for the biggest games, but we do here at the Totally Football Show. We've got Rafael Honigstein in. Hi, James. Hi, Rafa. How's your latest book going? It's going really well, thank right. you. Excellent. We'll hear more about that perhaps later. Or not. Daniel Story, you've gone and sold out every single edition of your book. Yep. Two weeks before Christmas. Give us all a break. All right. Are you going to do a reprint? No. That's it? That's it. No, wow. we, we're giving it all to charity, so it's not really fair to make the publisher do even more for free. And in the meantime, congratulations uh, to yourself and the rest of the Football 365 family for their Online Media of the Year award. Yes, thank you very much. And on a quiet weekend for Belgians, although actually Lukaku did get two assists, uh, arguably. Definitely. Chris, so. Christophe Tourer joins us. Hello. Christophe, am I pronouncing that right? Perfect. And you're from top Belgian publication, Heard Last the News. Yeah, and you pronounced that well too. So because it sounds like at last the news, but that's not what it's actually called, is it? No, no, it's it's not really that. But we always try to be first with the news, not not last. So. Uh, yeah, with that excellent. So we principle. try that. We're not always right, but but you do your best. I do my best. Sometimes. Excellent, Christoph. Well, people are very excited about you being here. We've got a special Christoph question section later on. Oh, right. dangerous. Uh, let's start with the Manchester derby. And let's start with what happened after the Manchester derby. What happened after the Manchester derby, Daniel? I think Jose Mourinho, who has a, shall we say, a slight track record of of both winning badly and losing badly, um, this time lost badly. Uh, he it sounds like he took offence or took issue with celebrations from the Manchester City players. And given that the the Sky Sports commentary and pretty much everyone after the game kind of saw this as title done, title over. I don't think those celebrations were misplaced. Uh, the report suggests that Mourinho took issue with loud music and, and shouting, which seems very precious to me. But um, And it looks like he stormed into the Manchester City dressing room, took issue with Edison in particular, who may or may not have grabbed his arm. Uh, and it also looks like milk and other things were thrown in the tunnel, which has right. led to, I think, Mikel Arteta cutting his eye and yeah not sure how that happened but um, Mourinho's coat being soiled which is a an horrific image right um it's very regrettable uh, especially the bit about poor old Mikel Arteta uh, getting hit his Johnny saying considering Jose was schooled in everything he knows about the game from his time with Sir Bobby Robson one trait he never got from that man was humility in defeat interesting point mm. uh how about the game uh, Danny you you've done 16 points many of which I, th- I think are worth uh, revisiting here. Uh, you saw City as being as dominant in this clash as, as they were back at the time of that 6-1 win. Yeah, I did. I, I, I actually don't think City played particularly well as a complete unit yesterday because although they were dominant up to a point, I think in the final third they were actually pretty wasteful. In the last 10 minutes or the last three minutes of that 6-1 game, Manchester City scored three times. Mm. And it wouldn't have been that surprising if they'd have done that yesterday. David Silva had a chance. Bernardo Silva had a chance. And they were obviously happy to keep the ball in the corner. And that was that was understandable. And at no point did it feel like Manchester United were beyond or were closer than arm's length. But actually, some of the counter-attacks in the second half, they wasted them through yeah. through either choosing the wrong pass or overhitting the right pass. And... And I think Manchester United actually got fairly fortunate to have only lost the game 2-1. That's the thing of I'm Mourinho this morning. That's the thing that sticks with me because they didn't they didn't really lay a punch on City other than through City's own ineptitude just before half time and and yet they still lost the game. Yeah. That that bit at the end, by the way, that managing the ball out by the corner. It was my favourite bit of the match. I know it's a little bit perverse, but there was a bit when Bernardo Silva had the ball and was clean through on goal, and he basically was ah, and takes it away from the danger zone back out to the corner. And 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 Sterling was doing fantastic work out there. 
you are a strange man if that was your favorite <laughs> i'm not sure about favorite but it was it, it felt to me like the it episode that demonst- summed up the game yeah. because manchester united the, the narrative the general narrative when a team's at home and losing by one goal especially in a big game is that the away side you know completely retreats into their box and they pin them back and they hope to create one maybe two good chances in the last five minutes mm. and i know they had that double save with maybe seven or eight minutes to go but this was a complete opposite. It was City that looked more likely to score in the last few minutes and were toying with United in that corner. And yeah, I can see why episodes like that are what really, really annoys Manchester United fans from that game. Well, we we'll hear a little bit more about what they might think in a second or two. But this point about Mourinho this Monday morning, how he must be uh, feeling, he tried to stop Man City but they had more chances than they had had against West Brom, Huddersfield, Leicester, Brighton or Everton. It was a, if, it was, if that was the plan, it, it didn't work at all. I've seen Man City struggling against all those teams, uh, seen all those games against the, against the minor teams, and it really surprised me that yesterday they were, there was not really an opposition. Manchester United were just standing on their box. City were passing, 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 not creating anything. But... There was not any danger from Man United except Delph, who, who made that mistake where Rashford did it brilliantly and Lukaku missing one good chance. Mm. And really, that was it. That was it. It was really appalling. But it's maybe the image you get from Mourinho in the, in the top games uh, the last few seasons. So not at home. At Arsenal, was completely different. That was just kamikaze football from both sides, I think. But... It's just something that's that's getting on Mourinho, I think, in the top games nowadays. Mm. It struck me that um, Guardiola really benefited from his time at uh, Bayern, where he spent a lot of time trying to prevent counterattacks from opposition team. That was the one thing he was really obsessed with. And of course, Man United played like a lot of these Bundesliga teams that Bayern came up against. They just had that one ball or two or three moves out of defence from a very deep position. And I think we never saw these attacks apart from one or two because City were so good at playing without the ball in this game. With the ball, I thought they were actually a little bit sluggish. And I don't want to preempt uh, the discussion about other games, but I think that was a bit of a theme of this weekend that some of the best footballing sides all looked a little bit fatigued and not quite as sharp as you'd expect them to be in the final third. Certainly City, I think, weren't unbelievably good yesterday, but it didn't have to be. Mm. They were still much better than a very one-dimensional Man United. They didn't even bring Aguero off the bench. No, and um, if Lukaku scores, of course, the goal, mm. then we have a completely different discussion. And then Guardiola will get asked, you know, why didn't he play Aguero, his best man? Why did he took off uh, a striker? Did he invite the pressure on? So because it's still a tight game, you still need to get lucky with one or two breaks. And Lukaku really should have scored. Mm. Um, I want to ask... If I may, Mm. um, Christoph is an expert on Lukaku. I think people are very critical of him, to a certain extent, rightly so. Do you think the biggest issue that people have with him is that he doesn't give off that vibe of that big, arrogant, super larger-than-life number nine who's just going to frighten everyone, um, that he looks a little bit like timid almost at times, and that's what people find annoying and they don't trust him to then be that big factor i think it's just body language in a way it's something wrong with his body language like when he talks he always sounds very confident i'm gonna be one of the best strikers in the world i want to become one of the big strikers in the world and then in the end when you see him on the pitch for instance that first city goal of tamendi where you expect someone with a body like his not to be uh, pushed over by a little elbow of otamendi and yeah it's so he works harder than he than he ought to do uh, before. He runs more meters, but still people find him in a way lazy. Always come back, comes back. He's lazy, and I think it's just body language. So he doesn't help himself by shouting at other players and waving constantly. I think, but it's just a body language issue. In Belgium, you're for Lukaku or against him. Oh, really? Like he gets lots of critic, although critics, although he's a best uh, best scoring striker ever for the national team still half half of the Belgians don't like him it's because he has played for Anderlecht you ha- uh, the same with Anderlecht you you hate them or you like them but Lukaku is a very controversial figure in Belgium mm. too well I mean 
the biggest thing about him is he just doesn't score goals at the moment. Isn't it? What a, mm. One in nine in the Premier League, which is a little bit worrying. And I know there's a big conversation going on about players who have and haven't been improved by their manager. And this was an interesting match-up from that point of view, where there's a lot of City players that do seem to have developed under Guardiola. But you wouldn't necessarily say that about a whole bunch of the Man United squad. I absolutely agree that Lukaku has to share some of that blame, particularly for both goals yesterday, although that's a kind of a new issue, um, his defensive work. But the lasting image of him yesterday, for me, was of him kind of putting his thumb up in the air to sort of say, good attempt at that 70-yard pass from, you know, from the edge of your own box to find me surrounded by three City players. I do believe it's also a question of style. I think Mourinho is kind of missold as a defensive manager. He's a pragmatist. He does what he's needed or he believes is the best route to success. But actually yesterday, I think the best route to success for him would be to look at that Manchester City defence and say, Carl Walker's got booked after three minutes. Nicholas Otamendi, we know, has mistakes in his locker. Vincent Kompany's clearly not fully fit. And Fabian Delft's a central midfielder playing at left-back. And they just let City off the hook. They let them play the game in Manchester United's half. For all Lukaku's um, issues at the moment, and, and his confidence looks shot, Marcus Rashford and Antti Martial were effectively playing as wing-backs in that first half. And Jesse Lingard was kind of running everywhere, but having to do it by himself. So there was no kind of collective unit pressure because Herrera was sat deep and Matic was sat deep. And unless Lukaku holds the ball up for maybe five or six seconds and brings someone else into play and then turns and then gets the ball back and then scores his chance... Manchester United are not going to score through him. So it's kind of asking for four or five things to happen absolutely perfectly for them to have a decent scoring opportunity unless the opposition make a mistake. And that wasn't happening at the start of the season, maybe because they were playing poorer teams mm. or maybe because they had more confidence. But Yeah, and they had the creativity of Pogba, exactly, who obviously yeah. was suspended, but yeah. there were options on the bench, Mkhitaryan, a matter, Rafa. I'm just wondering if, if Lukaku is a number nine who's not really that comfortable playing so far up with the back to goal. I don't think that his is necessarily his game, or not well, yet. He, he used to play with two strikers uh, in Belgium in his, in his first season. So, And I think in the youth, of uh, they used to play sometimes with two strikers too. So, yeah. And he doesn't get a lot of chances either. If you see see the stats after after September, I think only one or two chances a game. And he doesn't take them anymore. That's why he isn't scoring. The beginning, he had sometimes that's five or six, six clear chances. So they don't create the chances for him anymore. Last mm. week at Arsenal, he just he didn't have one, I think, except that one in his own box where he almost scored a beautiful goal for Arsenal. <laughs> Mind you, if Edison hadn't stuck his face in, or if, if he hadn't aimed the ball straight at Edison's head more accurately, and then come up with a brilliant a second save from the. Uh, from the man who I think was your man of the match, Edison, is that right, Daniel? Yeah, I just think not not necessarily just because of the save, but also just his general calmness under pressure in his first Manchester derby. He looks right. seasoned. Well, earlier on Sunday, there was more derby high jinks. Away in Anfield, as Liverpool took on Everton, we'll be talking about that after this. Listeners, our partnership with Paddy Power helps to keep this podcast free. And speaking of free, when you join Paddy's Rewards Club, every time you place five bets of £10 or more on any sport in a single week, Paddy will give you a free £10 bet the following week. Sign up now at paddypower.com. T's and C's apply. Max £10 bonus per person per week. Specific odds required. Exclude shops and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Joined now by Ian McIntosh. You were oh, there at Anfield. I was, yeah. yeah. There was um, a pretty interesting post-game at that match as well. It was very odd, very odd press conference. Um, we didn't know at the time, but Klopp had obviously had a few issues with his flash interviews afterwards with the TV guys and had then come in already in a bit of a stinking mood. Um, and then it just got worse as he... He just had a stinker. First of all, he asked for a show of hands as to whether it was a penalty and was really put out to find that more than half the press room had their hands up. Um, then he turned his attention to a man in an Everton jacket and uh, asked him, he said, is that the kind of football you know you want your team to play? And the man in the Everton jacket just grinned and went, yeah, good point, that. So it was all going downhill straight away, really. Um, he was just in a terrible mood. Mm. You know. did big, speaking of what kind of football Everton were playing, did Big Sam give Mourinho a demonstration of how to <laughs> you know, get an underdog point in a derby? Big Sam said not, not once, but twice, mm. that he had mastered Liverpool, which was, <laughs> which was quite a jump. Because, oh, let's be honest, Everton were pretty awful. 
Um, they were pretty awful in the first half. They were pretty awful in the second half. They got a penalty and they scored it. Um, and, you know, that they, they, they got their point. But I, I'm not sure I saw it really as mastering. Uh, Sam kept going back to the point of uh, Liverpool only had three shots on target. But without starting the whole XG thing again, this is why XG is quite important because that misses Mo Salah heading just past the far post in the second half. It misses uh, Sadio Mane yeah. uh, dragging one just wide of the far post uh, just before half time. Liverpool were absolutely That Mane chance dominant. when he had. Uh, is that the one you mean where, where he, had, he could yeah. have just cut back to two wide open Liverpool Well, Salah players. scored that amazing goal and mm. then about. 60 seconds later he almost did it again but clipped Ashley Williams on the head and got a corner and then mm. about 60 seconds after that Mane hurdled Williams and then dragged one past the post so Liverpool were, were pretty dominant throughout um, but you know that, that's, that's how football goes you don't get the second goal you you can be open to that kind of thing poor old Dejan Lovren at the, um, at the centre of it again losing the ball in the lights as it comes over the top and uh, and I have to agree it's with a- Sam Allardyce on this one if you put your hands on someone in the penalty area like that Kind of asking for it. It was really. canny work from Calvert Lewin. Well, yeah, he might have slowed down a little bit, perhaps as Lovren kind of, kind of into came it. into him. But Lovren, I think you know, Lovren's Lovren's given him a little shove, and mm. you can't really get away with that. Hmm. All right. Um, well, there you go. One one, it finishes, and of course, what makes this even worse, Rafa, is that is the talent that Jurgen Klopp decided he didn't need to use in this game. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think what makes it worse is that the teams above them drop points. So I think this was a real opportunity to... Well, be a, even worse if they'd won. Well, you can look at it both ways. Yeah. But I think it's really frustrating because it could have been third um, and it could have been just two points behind Man United in second. So there was a real opportunity to make up some ground and to put some space behind them and, and the two North London clubs. And of course... I'd be very frustrated after a game like this because you are by far the better side. You create chances, you waste them, and then you stupidly, really stupidly give away give away a penalty. And there is there is no excuse for what Lovren did. I think part of the reason why Klopp is so upset is because he thought in England uh, maybe slightly more robust standards apply that putting hands on somebody in the box is not automatically a uh, a penalty. I think personally, mm. it's more penalty than not. Mm. But it's, what I was actually asking yeah. about was was, was Klopp's decision to not, yeah. not go with the player who'd yeah, scored a hat trick Yeah, I think that's a complete midweek. non-issue. Personally, well, how would that be a non-issue? It's a massive issue. No, I think it's it's only an issue because you don't win, obviously, because well, no one no one cares if you rotate half your team against Stoke and you win three nil and everyone's really really happy. Yeah, he obviously made a judgment against um, a bottom table, bottom half of the table team. You don't need your your best team with a really heavy fixture list coming up. And this is not about Klopp. I would say exactly the same to you if you asked me about any coach rotating. I would never judge a manager on leaving out a couple of players because we don't know what's happening in sure. training. But We don't know saw, what their stats are. No, no, hold on a second, James. Mm-hmm. We don't know what their, what their stats are when it comes to their recuperation, if they have muscle fatigue. And crucially, we don't know what the plan going forward is because one thing Klopp really did badly... Uh-huh and really screwed up in the past, is overextending his best players. They all broke down over the last two years. And so far, the only injury they've had is Lalana. They've kept everybody fit. And I think that's a really big issue for him because the team is not strong enough to lose, to lose one or two players. So if it means you know, dropping two points, of course, that's not part of the plan. But bef- he has to make the judgment before, before the game. And I would never, and again, it's, it's not about Klopp, I would never criticise a manager for that because they're much better positioned to make that call than you and me. Okay, there are two things I would say to that. One is, if Liverpool squad is able to absorb an injury in any area, it would be specifically in that part of the team. You don't want that to happen. No, you don't want that to happen, but you also don't want to drop two points on a weekend, as you say, when they could have made up valuable... But the continue thing is a complete red herring because when he didn't play and they scored all these goals, everyone said, oh... It's actually really good he's not playing. Yeah, and now Rafa. it's like he doesn't play. It's like, oh, how can he leave him out? Okay, Rafa, so midweek, the Wednesday night... The changes when all the time. When he scores a hat-trick. If I'd said to you on Wednesday night after Coutinho had scored that hat-trick, by the way, do you think he'll play in the, in, in the, in the derby at the weekend? And you would have said, yeah, for sure. But what does I it understand? matter? What does it matter if you score a hat-trick or not against Spartak? Because it means you're absolutely informed. We talked about Lukaku's confidence. Your confidence is sky-high. You're clicking. You sound like Alan Shearer there. I don't think it really matters whether your confidence is sky high or not. 
You, you play... don't think it matters to a striker or somebody who scores not, goals if they're confident? First of all, he's not a striker. Well, okay, you don't Secondly, think it matters to a goal scorer whether your confidence is high or It matters not. to him, but he can't just base his team decision on whether somebody's confidence is okay, really well, high. Okay, well, do you know what? To... Am I... I am I, no, am I, I going I, full Alan Shearer here, or is there some? I think, I think you are. for me, the, the the bigger issue was not not selecting them on Sunday. It was the fact that he played. Um, he gave Salah seventy minutes, I think, on Wednesday when they were already five 0 up, and he kept continuing on for the whole ninety minutes mm. against Spartak. Now, of course, he wasn't playing at one hundred percent for all of that game, but it, it seemed a strange call to um, to even keep any of those his you know let's say his gems his three gems yeah after 40 minutes even you know I don't think anyone would have well that's a very good point so Rafa if he's really concerned about muscle fatigue or in any way avoiding injuries what surely he wouldn't have acted that way on Wednesday night leaving Coutinho on for the whole game taking Salah off off only after 70 taking Salah off on this game against Everton as well is a questionable call surely Whatever decision a manager makes, yes. if you want to bring it down to a substitution uh, that he did or didn't make, you can, of course, analyse every game that way. But I don't think that's realistic. I think you have to look at a manager's decision-making over a course of time and not say, oh, in that game he bought him after 70 minutes. That's why they didn't win the next game. That's, come on. That's no. not how football mm. works. That's not what Daniel's saying. Or not no, what I'm saying. But, saying. but you're saying it's fair enough what Klopp did because he doesn't want to expose his but players again, to the I danger Again, I don't want to be sound as if I'm just... No, talking no, about Klopp, no, I would no, say but in exactly this case, about any, specifically in this man, case, you defend him by saying he doesn't want to overextend his players. But then in which case, why on Wednesday night, three days before one of uh, Liverpool's biggest games of the season, from the supporters' point of view, why didn't he go, OK, now I'm going to rest them because Coutinho's doing brilliantly, uh, because Salah's looking fantastic, because I want to have them in great shape, because I definitely want to use these my best players Well, I'd, I'd have to look it up, but I think... I think three of them did, three out of four did get substituted. So I don't know. You can only make three substitutions. I don't know mm. what. That's you can't fair. change the rules. In Rafa's defence, I should say that I I think missing the chances they missed is a bigger issue than the team selection. Okay. If if, if Mane passes that one before half time and and Salah slides it in and it's two 0 at half time, that's game done. Mm. And Liverpool may well go on to win that three or four nil, and no one's talking about it. Obviously, he's only going to be judged in hindsight, but. I think missing the chances will annoy him or should annoy people. Does more. leaving out two of your best goal scorers have anything to do with the missing chances, in your opinion? No, because the players that missed the chances were Sadio Mane, who, if you were picking Liverpool's strongest side, you'd pick anyway. Can I talk about Everton for a bit? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Just to say, I think Allardyce has got a lot of work on his hands right now because he doesn't seem to have a grasp of what their best team is, what their best shape is. In the first half, they were a weird kind of 4-2-2-2, that kind of fudge formation you do when you haven't got a balanced squad with Sigurdsson and Rooney ostensibly as wingers, but not really as wingers. Second half, he ripped all of that up, um, and this being the game that he mastered, of course, and then came out with a completely different formation. I think he's going to have to spend December basically doing that in every match, desperately trying to find some kind of balance in that team before it's going to be a hell of a lot of turnover in January. Mm. Which is exactly what David Unsworth did for his few games yeah. in charge as well, isn't it? <laughs> and Ronald Koeman before him, switching from back threes to back fours. They, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Everton fans will be very happy with what happened at the weekend, and, and you yeah, know, fair enough, they've they got a point where they probably, you know, the, the odds would say they shouldn't have done. Um, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done before Everton are properly safe. How good was Rooney's penalty, by the way? It was fantastic, and in that kind of pressure situation as well. And I think Allardyce was saying afterwards um, that was the first penalty Everton have won at Anfield in about 50 years. Really? Um, but to get that, pretty much Everton's one proper chance of the entire game at Anfield and lash it home like that, that's pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. <laughs> Ian, thank you so much. No worries. You're going to be back on Tuesday for the Football League show. Yes, we'll have uh, Adam Bate is coming in. Oh. Adam Bate's a fantastic journalist. I'm sure you'll know of his work already. And we're going to be having a look at Bristol City, who are doing incredible things in the championship. We're going to be having a look at Charlton Athletic, who are celebrating the 25th anniversary of their return to the Valley. And uh, uh, you've just dragged me away from watching the Clash of the Titans in League Two, Luton Town against Notts County. Oh. We're all over that as well. All right, then. Best of luck with that. And we'll hear from you on Tuesday. Dublin, we're heading your way. We're going to be at Vicar Street on Monday the 19th of March 2018, uh, which would be an interesting time to go. It'll be like literally two days after St. Patrick's Day. 
<laughs> so the celebration's very much continuing at Vicar Street. Uh, tickets, for those interested, will be going on sale this Thursday. Super. That's a big draw. And so is the one that's just taken place, I'm guessing in Switzerland, although I didn't bother to check. Switzerland, Rafa? It is. Excellent. Neon. Neon. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, and uh, they, they put their balls in, they put their hands in, and they drew out the last 16 of the Champions League and the Europa League too. Let's talk about the Champions League draw. Uh, five English clubs through to the last 16, Daniel, and I know you're excited about that. How excited are you about the teams that they're going to be up against? Do you want me to run through them? Uh, I think I can remember them. Okay. Uh, Man City have got Basel. Yeah, which is kind of their reward for being so dominant. They would consider themselves... They they have, in the past, considered themselves incredibly unfortunate in the Champions League draw. So Mm. I think they're probably due this one. All right. Okay. Well, they'd be heavy favourites there. What about... Let's not forget that they were really happy with Monaco last year. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Man United, Rafa, have drawn Seville. Yeah, interesting one because Seville are a bit chaotic. They score a lot of goals, concede a lot of goals, and Man United are kind of the opposite. So it should be, should be quite interesting, really. Mm. Not, not, not anticipating any 3-3 three, three thrillers. Well, it can happen. I mean, it's a big bonus not to play the second leg in Seville because they can develop this kind of special atmosphere. And they're so street smart. Having won all these trophies in the Europa League, they really know how to handle international games. United have Old Trafford as a kind of safety safety net there, I think, in the second leg. Mm. Porto, unbeaten at home in 14, but not that impressive in that group with Besiktas and who else was in there? Leipzig and Monaco, and Monaco of course. Yeah. They've got Liverpool. They've got Liverpool, which is a great draw for Liverpool. Could have been much, much worse. This is not a vintage uh, Porto side. They really did not look impressive in that group at all. Squeezed through behind... Uh, Besiktas, mm-hmm. who a bit of the surprise package of this year's uh, group stages, mm-hmm. and they look beatable. Okay, Besiktas, by the way, who look absolutely terrific, have drawn Bayern, who were the only German side in the Champions League last season. It's a bit embarrassing, really, isn't it? But uh, it's it's classic Jupankis in a way. You know, comes in, and not only does he improve the team, they start winning again, and everyone's happy, but also gets the best possible draw. Really, Bayern were looking at a, a series of really tricky ties having finished only second in the group but they got Besiktas who of course as we just said um, surprised a lot of people in the group stage and uh, a tricky kind of team full of players who perhaps kind of resurrecting their careers or having a uh, a second wind if, if I may say so uh, there's uh, Karashba, there's Ryan Babel, there's Talishka, Pepe. Uh, there's Cenk Tozun who's playing really yeah. really well Pepe is there yeah so especially in, in, uh, in Istanbul uh, really tricky tie, but you'd still expect Bayern to find a way through them. You still, th- we will have a German side in the last eight. You think? I'm reasonably confident. Reasonably confident. Will we have an Italian side? I'm not sure. Roma have drawn Shakhtar Donetsk. That's a great draw. That's going to be an interesting. You think it's a good draw for Roma? It's a great or for draw. Shakhtar. No, it's a great draw for Roma purely on the basis that um, Eastern European teams really struggle coming back from big winter breaks. I right. think it's three months in, in Ukraine, certainly is in Russia, um, and come back straight to Champions League knockout football. Mm. They they just can't handle it. And whatever they do, they try to mix it up, the routine. People are looking for new ways to sort of combat that. But match, match fitness is a completely different thing. You can't simulate it. Meanwhile, Spurs got Juventus, who, funnily enough, Daniel, they've never met in a, an official competition, but you may recall that before this season started at Wembley, Juve went along, got beaten 2-0, and were, to be honest, were never really at the races in that game at all. But Juve had a very slow start to the season. That was before the season even started, and Italian sides in friendlies, etc. Juve, I think by next, by February, could be looking very strong indeed because they're just beginning to put together some something of the old La Signora-ness, uh, that defensive resoluteness. They had a massive game again this weekend... Uh, the, uh, the, the, the Derby. <laughs> what a game. Well, yeah, Phil Smith says, um, can I get those 90 minutes of my life back, please? Um, Napoli, 
they had a massive match against yeah. uh, Fiorentina, also nil-nil. See, I went to Winter Wonderland on Saturday night, and right. I've lost the will to live. But in <laughs> hindsight, it still might have been the still, better option. Right. Well, just, I just pity anyone trying to sell an Italian football podcast right now because you had nil-nil those games. Uh, Chievo Roma also nil-nil, but that was largely thanks to the incredible. Did you see the saves that Sorrentino was coming up with? Just remarkable. I mean, everyone was losing their, their their business a little bit with with Edison's double save, but Sorrentino really look it up. It's for me the, the goalkeeping moment of the of the um, of the seasons of our, particularly because the previous weekend he'd shipped five against Inter, played like a hologram, or as people used to say of Claudio Bravo. Oh, just while we're on the subject of Italy, Benevento lost again, two 0 against Udinese. What about Chelsea Barcelona, Christoph? Really looking forward to who's going to be appointed as the referee because. There's always been lots of controversy in those kind of games. I remember Anders Frisk getting death threats. Mm. I think it was another Scandinavian referee. I think it was Overbur uh, having uh, in 2009 getting death threats. And then, um, yeah, the famous 2012 Barcelona Chelsea where Ramirez scored his most important goal for Chelsea ever, I think. And yeah. they went through to the final and won it. So it's been a while that they've played each other, but they used to meet each other every three years and there was always some controversy about that game so We're really looking forward to that one uh, the real Messi and the smaller Belgian Messi who isn't on his level right. too for, for, from our point of view so yeah interesting mm. um, interesting little angle that Messi has faced Chelsea eight times has never scored against them never other interesting facts Chelsea are unbeaten in seven meetings with Barcelona although I think they've only won two of those it's the sixth time they've drawn each other they, in knockout. Form. And they draw each other all the time. Always draws too, like 1-1, mm. 0-0, uh, and then a controversial decision by a referee deciding who goes through. So so they've got the toughest draw of the English clubs, yeah. Chelsea. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Man City probably with the easiest against Basel. Uh, also in the draw... Sorry, James. Hmm? Just one word. I think it would be really interesting with Conte and his uh, bugbear of the Champions League, how much it really, A, bothers him, and B, if he might even, with the way that the Premier League is going, start thinking, this is really the only thing he, we can win here. You already mentioned that a few weeks ago, that they would drop the, the, the Premier League that was played, and now he said the title is already gone, so I think he might go for that one. They will put everything on Champions League. Like for Hazard, for instance, before the season, he mentioned this year we have to do something in the Champions League I've never performed in the Champions League now he's performing in the Champions League so he set his eyes on the Champions League trophy too but it will be very difficult for them because they have some weaknesses in their squad too this idea of rotation for the Champions League and prioritising of it is actually might become a running theme of the English clubs because I mean Jose Mourinho pulled himself out of the title race yesterday albeit it's probably slightly tongue in cheek but he prioritised Europa League last season so you can see him doing it Mauricio Pochettino hasn't really got a choice but to pick the same team as he's got in every game. Antonio Conte, I think, will do it. And English teams have been brilliant in the group stages, but the issue for English clubs, they've always said, is the kind of lack of winter break. So going into February, having played a heck of a lot of football when their peers across Europe haven't, that's always been seen as a stumbling block. And that's, you know, Manchester City said, I think they said that last season when they lost to Monaco, that the sheer amount of football they'd played kind of counted against them. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if they all do, because with Manchester City 11 points clear, they could kind of do it the other way. The, the draw that we haven't mentioned yet is uh, perhaps the biggest Real Madrid taking on PSG. Real Madrid were the favourites pre-tournament for the, the title this year. PSG were up, I think, third favourite so this is going to be huge Real Madrid by the way uh, this weekend with a whopping 5-0 win against Sevilla who will be facing uh, Man United as we mentioned 5-0 uh, with two goals from uh, Cristiano Ronaldo who Daniel you may have missed has picked up the Ballon d'Or again and uh, Real Madrid are off uh, in uh, where is it Abu Dhabi Abu Dhabi yes Abu Dhabi right Barcelona this weekend got a 2-0 win over Villarreal Suarez goal was particularly enjoyable PSG a 12 points clear in France. They beat Lille 3-1. Can I just mention the draw quickly? Please. Because Real Madrid, Madrid very much punished for finishing second, as were Chelsea. Um, Bayern got lucky with Besiktas. Um, but I think the the main thing about the, the PSG-Real Madrid draw is that what tremendous news it is for the two or three other genuine contenders because you know either the holders are out or the hottest team in, in Europe 
possible exception of Man City are out. Mm. So I think that is amazing news for Man City, for example, because they now have a much better chance of making it all the way. Interesting. Final, of course, will be coming up in May in Kiev, which could be a major plus for Shakhtar Donetsk, no? You know, because Ukraine. No? I was just reading, actually. I'd forgotten this, but Roma, last time they they faced Shakhtar, it was about seven years ago, Champions League. Do you know who went through? Shakhtar 6-2 on aggregate. It's producer Ben again, listeners. And as a special thank you for supporting us since we kicked things off back in August, we've teamed up with Beer 52 for a truly amazing offer. Beer 52 love Totally Football Show listeners so much they want to give you some free beer. And not just any beer, craft beer. And not just any craft beer, a case of craft beer. For free, all because you listen to the show. Beer 52 is the largest craft beer club on the planet. They search out incredible and exclusive small batch craft beers from the world's greatest breweries and bring them back for their members. Sign up now at beer52.com slash TFS and you'll get eight spectacular craft beers, some delicious bar snacks and Beer 52's award-winning magazine Ferment. All you have to do is pay $5.95 for delivery. And if you decide after this free taster that the club isn't for you, you can leave Beer 52 at any time. There's no catch. It really is a no-brainer. Get some incredible craft beers to enjoy this Christmas for free. Just head to beer52.com slash TFS and enter the offer code TFS to claim your free case today. Hey, if you enjoyed the weekend's action in the Premier League, you'll be very excited to know that there's more of that coming up Tuesday and Wednesday. Bosh. City are going to be at Swansea. City looking for their 15th win in a row, which will be the most ever in England, Christoph, beating Arsenal's 14-game run back in 2002. Man United and Bournemouth will be facing each other. Bournemouth, intriguingly, are one of four clubs that Jose Mourinho has faced more than once at home in his league managerial career, but not beaten. Do you know who the other three are? You'll be surprised when, when I tell you that they're Burnley, Genoa and Roma. Uh, Everton are going to be at Newcastle who have had just one point from their last seven Premier League matches and I think had more points at this stage of the season in the Steve McLaren they went down season than they do right now which is a little bit worrying Liverpool will be hosting the Baggies who lost at Swansea Chelsea uh, go to Huddersfield for their first top flight meeting since 1972 Huddersfield have won three of their last four home games in the Premier League the exception being of course against Manchester City One of the most interesting, perhaps the most interesting fixture of the midweek round is West Ham Arsenal. West Ham, who just beat the champions at London Stadium on Saturday. Christophe Terreur, you were there. Yes, for the Moisey master plan. Bang. Bang, they were just defending and did two brilliant counter-attacks and that was it, but... They defended well and Chelsea were quite sloppy and not creative at all. So you see that there's something in the West Ham team right now. They were pretty decent against Manchester City too, so mm. they can, they will be tough to beat by the big teams, I think. I think the smaller teams will take advantage of, of them in the, in the smaller games, uh, I think. Well, it's a it's a win that leaves them, I think, just goal difference off safety. Uh, it features Adrian coming in for Joe Hart yep. and also the, another um, fantastic performance from Masuaku, who is... It, is Moyes the first person to use him out of the squad? But he, he wasn't getting a look in before, was he under Billage? Uh, but he played some games, but he never got a real chance, I think. And mm. you have managers who like specific type of players, and he was really doing really well. Zappa Costa just didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do with with the ball either. So he was really struggling on 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 that right wing. Uh, it was. Masuaku was just everywhere, I think, uh, on, on, on that uh, side. And Chelsea really had difficulties with that. They didn't find a solution. Even at halftime, they tried to find something. But, yeah, just he, 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 uh, Comte replaced his, his wing-backs too in the second half. Brought Moses on, switched Zapacosta to the other side. But even that didn't help. So they didn't find a, find a plan uh, to stop a player, which is weird for a team like Chelsea. Yeah, as much as... We should herald uh, David Moyes getting his first home win in just under a year. You think this was as much um, about Chelsea not being at the races? Well, they didn't look sharp. Uh, Morata had been ill all week, had played on medication on Wednesday. You saw that he was not 100% at an hazard, had been struggling in training on Thursday. He wasn't sharp either. He was always in between four four players. He didn't know what to do. And the rest... 
looked tired too. Only Kante, I think, was at his, at his right level. He was good, but the rest, no, I think it was fatigue. Um, yeah, just Would like like they have after all the ch- all the Champions League games. I think they have lost three of the four games after uh, three or four games after they played in the Champions League. So. Mm. Earlier in the season, we had the story by Matthews in the Times that Conte had not adjusted his uh, training regime sufficiently to the twice a week schedule. With your um, connections at the club, can you can you back that up? Well, they yeah sometimes there are complaints about the hard schedule, but that was in, more in pre-season than during the the season. So they always work hard but the group who works hard is this are the guys who don't play like after every game you see the guys who haven't played or have only played five or ten minutes they get an extra session after the game so they can have a day off the day after of course but they work them hard and some even say that they like that work so uh the extra work because i i know times where players weren't playing at chelsea in a top club and that they were complaining that they didn't have the level anymore, that they needed six weeks to adapt to a level of of, of a league again. So it's yeah, players always find something to complain, I think. Mm-hmm. But does it strike you as a happy camp? It's even last year there were complaints about the hard work, even when they wanted to. it's never Chelsea's never been a happy camp. There have always been snakes and uh, people leaking things like that. So it's a squad full of uh, opportunistic uh, players, I think, and it's mm. one of the most yeah leaky camps too. Stories always pop out. It's at Chelsea. So mm. what, what about West Ham though? What are their chances of doing a similar thing against Arsenal midweek? They're playing Arsenal, whose recent away record is pretty wretched. I think I think the, the last 20 away Premier League games, I think they've lost 11. Wow. Um, I think there's five clubs in that time who have lost more, which is, and it's Stoke, West Brom, Watford, Crystal Palace and Swansea, I think. Um, and they just don't look very inventive. They look. It looks to me like the back three formation isn't working because they're having to play Per Mertesacker in it and he doesn't look fit for purpose, sadly. He's retiring at the end of the season and I think it very much looks like he's in his last months as a professional footballer. Um, but playing that extra defender means they've got one less in midfield and Granite Jack is being left unprotected and he's continually proven himself not good enough to deal without that protection. Um, it would be lovely if he was, you know, if he was a, an Angolo Kante and he could deal with that responsibility, but he can't. And in attack, I think they've scored nine away goals this season and five of them were in about 50 minutes against Everton. Hmm. So there's nothing in that away team that's working. At home, they kind of have all the ball and they can create chances and a goal eventually comes and they've been pretty effective at home, But apart from the Manchester United game. But away from home, they look wretched. So there's no reason. If, if, If West Ham can beat Chelsea by kind of defending deep and then hitting them on the counter they can do exactly the same against Arsenal hmm. do, do you see um, Jack Wilshere getting a start maybe midweek I actually think he might do because because it's a midweek game and they're playing after a weekend and he hasn't played since last Thursday and he was actually very good albeit against awful opposition in, in Barte yesterday was the first time where I kind of felt among Arsenal supporters that maybe only on social media but there was a feeling that he should be playing that game because hmm. he's Jack is not offering very much but I think it probably I think it probably necessitates a change of formation as well as personnel. Yeah, yeah, the other controversial squad decision, Rafa. I know you're upset about this. Was Arsenal leaving out the man who scored the hat trick for the midweek in the Europa League? Theo Walcott. Why? Never oh, do why? That. You should never do that. Never. <laughs> Confidence is sky high. Exactly. Exactly. And what do they get? They get a one-one draw. Where have I heard that before? Anyway, ooh, here's a stat that we can all enjoy. Arsenal are closer to the relegation zone than top of the table. I say all enjoy, that's not an anti-Arsenal sentiment. It's just curious, it's interesting, isn't it? It tickles me. Just a reflection on City just being out of this world. The teams behind them are kind of a little bit unconvincing and not great, but actually you look at uh, the same stage last season... Chelsea had, at the top of the table had six points fewer, so it seemed like a closer race because the other teams being just as bad or just as good as they are, as they are this year, just were a little bit closer. But City are just not dropping any points, so you are going to look a little bit underwhelming if you're Man United and just picking up, in inverted commas, your regular kind of points that you'd expect to be chasing a title with. So it's just City. 
City's just ruin it, ruining it for all of us. City already have enough points to finish eighth last season, hmm. which kind of sums up just how not wow. just how That's dominant they are, but also the kind of dirge from. Thank God, Tony Pulis lower. isn't their manager. Burnley are two points off the top four after their one win over Watford. Next up, they're going to be hosting Stoke, that self-same Stoke team who just got beaten 5-1 by Spurs. Wow, Spurs, their four-game winless run coming to an end. And as you probably saw, Christoph, beating Stoke by a four-goal margin for the fourth consecutive time. Remarkable, well, eh? Very remarkable. I yeah. love those stats. Yeah. Hey, then you'll love this. Uh, we were talking about Louis, Louis Duncan and how many own goals he's, he's got. But Shawcross has now got six career own goals. He's closing in on uh, Skirtle and Jamie Carragher in the all-time own goal Premier League uh, standings. They've both got seven. Richard Dunn, um, he's got ten. Yeah. Stoke are dreadful, it says here. They've mm. conceded more goals than anyone else in the division. Mm. That's rubbish, isn't it? Mark Hughes is. I can't quite work out how he hasn't been sacked yet. Given, given Tony Pulis has gone from West Brom and he at least offered that safety net. Hughes isn't even offering that. I think they've taken sixty-five points in the last sixty league games. So this is not a short-term thing. Mm. And they don't have any identity. They don't beat the best teams. They don't hammer the worst teams. They just kind of bob along and occasionally win a game and lose the rest. They kind of turn them into a nothing Premier League team, which is. A bit of a shame. It's a shame, isn't it? Also in the Premier League this weekend and midweek, well, midweek, Claude Puel's going back to St Mary's. Club that fired him. He's bringing his Leicester team. They've won three straight. They just beat Newcastle. That's coming up on Wednesday. Huddersfield ended a run of four straight defeats with a 2-0 win over Brighton. Brighton are going to beat Spurs next. Swansea beat West Brom 1-0. Did you know that Swansea have lost more games than they've scored goals this season? They've had 10 defeats, but only nine goals. What an interesting stat that is. And what? Oh, Palace had a 2-2 draw with Bournemouth. Christoph, we need to talk about Christian Benteke. Mm-hmm. The penalty. Is that well, it, it, was, it was the worst penalty ever. I, really? I saw, no, they said it on TV. Oh, I've did seen they? worse. Yeah. 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 Is the half in Belgium of a population who are anti-Lukaku, um, are they pro-Benteke? Not no. pro Benteke either. Lots of love for Bachuai in Belgium, ah. to be fair. Okay. Is there yeah. any pro Benteke uh, faction movement? No, not really. Some some players really like to play with Benteke because he's comfortable on the ball. He's a really good target man. I, like for instance, Eden Hazard likes to play with Benteke mm-hmm. for the for the short linker play, for instance. So. Right. But yeah, Benteke, he hasn't scored for six months. I think the last goal on the 14th of May to is that name right? another stat. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, he's lacking confidence, but he's always been a confident striker. To mention that again, he he will have periods where he scores every single chance he gets, and then he will have periods like this. Sometimes it lasts for six months where he doesn't score. Um, he gets been... a little bit cocky and says, I'm going to kick that penalty. And then you know he's going to miss that one. Right. He, he has been injured for a fair chunk of that six he... months, of course. But but still, what he did this weekend, I think, is, I'm not sure, in the list of footballing Ten Commandments, that's pretty high up, isn't it? You, disobeying managers' instructions about penalty takers and, and taking the ball off your... Off yeah. your teammate. There's about there's a, a whole variety of different styles of football manager, but every single one of them hates more than anything someone putting the individual over the team. And, mm. and it would have been a ridiculous if it was Crystal Palace's first penalty of the game. But the fact that they'd already scored one, not taken by Venteke, just made it laughable. And as Christoph says, you kind of felt he's going to miss this, and when he misses it, there's going to be a fallout. And He's very lucky that Crystal Palace basically have no other options to start up front because otherwise I think he would probably be on the bench for a few games. Yeah, and Milivojevic, who kicked the first penalty, he really has a good record. And if you look at Benteke's penalty record, if I was a manager, I would pick Milivojevic always because Benteke, I think, missed three of his last five uh, penalties for <laughs> Palace too. A few important ones. He scored a brilliant one once with Liverpool against Palace. It was a last-minute penalty too, hmm. but... It's uh, yeah, mentally he's not the strongest Benteke. That's uh, that's for sure. And certainly after that discussion with Milivojevic, it's really a comical scene. To be fair, one puts the ball uh, on the spot, 
Then he walks away. Then Benteke comes back to ask, I'm going to kick it. Then Benteke walks walks away again. And in the end, he shoots him. It's uh, just ridiculous. Mm. Uh, Morales is another of your yeah. fellow countrymen, no? He he famously took one off Baines and yep. to the same effect. And Jack uh, mentions this. He says, uh, Morales took one off Baines and missed. Benteke miss. Will Belgium's golden generation be as bad as England's if there's a shootout next summer? I guess so, but we have Hazard who almost never misses penalty. Well, he can we, only take one, though. Yeah, he can take one, but we will not let our strikers take the penalties right. and Miralas won't be playing, I don't think. Uh, although you never know with Roberto Martinez, we'll never put him on the pitch in the during extra time, but right. you never know with Martinez. Are you still scratching your head about the fact that Roberto Martinez is your manager? Well, I know why he is the manager. He's just... yeah. Belgium Federation were just a little bit clueless. We don't have experience with big managers. And when you have a meeting with Martinez, he's a brilliant talker, so he just talked himself into that job. It's mm. When I knew the, the three candidates were, I think it was uh, Ralf Rangnick, uh, Rudy Garcia, it's now at Marseille, I think, mm-hmm. and Martinez. I immediately knew Martinez is going to convince them also because he knows a few play- of the players. So Has he but, convinced you, Christoph? Because he has... No, he's, he's, he's still he's still the same as he was over here. I, I wrote a yeah, pretty hard story on him, uh, but realistic that he can't... He can set up attacks, but not an organization. When he just came, people were amazed by that in Belgium. Was well, that possibly he has been in the Premier League? But now they finally find out that organization—it's organization—is not his biggest strength. Also, because De Bruyne complained about it after the last international game that they don't have an organization, and that will be crucial in a World Cup when you face Germany in the quarterfinals or Brazil or then you will need an organization mm. and it isn't there they have brilliant attacking skills they will win a lot of games with 4-3 but in the end against a good team you will always get beaten so mm. we will end up as being the continental england i think do you think yeah i think we will i think we, everyone in belgium expects semi-finals it's possible but unless we're lucky and the defense takes it all in their own hands if companies fit, of course, if all the world is fit too, then I think we might have a chance, but we lack something in our team. Mm. We have too much quality in the same positions too, like England used to have in central midfield where mm. a manager didn't want to choose uh, between between uh, between the three or the four and just put them all four in the in the squad. And that was it's what we are having too with Yannick Carrasco playing as a left wing back, for instance. And to be fair, that's not not his best position. For sure. Hey, uh, Christoph, what we have you here, Thomas Pickles wants to know, uh, any comments on Stephen Defoe's time at Burnley? Quality was evident last season. Now he seems at home with tactics, work ethic, etc. He is flourishing. He and Jack Cork are the best midfield duo in the country. Well, that's maybe ex- exaggerated, mm-hmm. but Defoe really likes playing now at Burnley. Last year, he was in and out of the team. He needed time to adapt to... Dice's way of working. I know he even even uh, sent me some text messages before before he joined Burnley. I said, "What kind of team is that?" I don't know anything about Burnley. I what said, did you yeah, say? I think uh, your neck is going to hurt a lot because of the long balls flying <laughs> over. For instance, that's one of the jokingly, of course. But he didn't feel comfortable in the playing style last season with yeah the, with Boyd and those kind of guys. The, the the more English that, but uh, Dice promised him that they would change the style of play, that they would bring in other players, more football players, and that's what uh, what they have done. And he really likes that to play in that team now. They they still have that little bit old fashioned English thing in them, but he likes to play there. He he really loves it. A few weeks ago, he told me this is the best dressing room I've ever been in. Hmm. Uh, atmosphere is brilliant, mostly due to the Irish guys, I think, who have a really close connection. Irish guys like to do lots of things with the lads. So he really likes it over there. And last year he wanted to move away from it. He didn't like it. He didn't like living in Manchester too. But now he's very happy over there. And that's what you see too. He's And he's fit. He's staying fit. He's not getting injured anymore, which was an issue with him before. And yeah, he will have his place in the World Cup squad too, I think. Something... Everyone, no one expected it after he moved from Anderlecht to Burnley that everyone thought, oh, it's over for the fool. He's been a talented guy, but 
struggling with injuries, not living for his job, but he's taken it back to another level this season. Super. And George Sessions, on a related note, wants to know uh, about what kind of text Alderweireld is, is sending you at the moment. Is he going to sign a new contract at Spurs? How happy is he uh, with the dressing room there uh, under Pochettino? Well, he has other worries at the moment and uh, a very serious hamstring injury. Ah. So, And that contract, uh, Daniel Levy will have to... Uh, We'll have to pay a lot of money, I think. Every, it's the same problem with all players at Spurs at the moment. They have their, their wages and Levy doesn't want to pay more than... I don't know what it exactly is. Is it 100,000 a week, 110? I don't care. But those players know that they can earn a lot at other teams, far more than they're earning currently at uh, at uh, Spurs. And Alderweireld is on a, on a 50,000... A week, we can say that because his contract was leaked by Football League, so we know exactly how much he earns, and that's a really average wage in the Premier League, and certainly for a top player like he is. Uh, do you think he'll be at Spurs next season? Well, I think Daniel Levy will do everything to keep him, so I guess he will still be there. But then they will have an issue the year, the year after, when then they have to activate an option in his contract, and then he can leave for a limited amount. So. Mm. He will be available for 25 million pounds then, also revealed by Football League, of course. Listeners, like a stat, have a go on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone Razor don't go back to their old one. I know. Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Football fans of America, Canada are your champions. There you go. Toronto FC beating Seattle Sanders 2-0 in MLS Cup final. And wrapping up the treble, Supporters Shield, Canadian Championship, <coughs> which is a domestic cup. And uh, and this, bingo. Well done, Sebastian Jovinko and uh, Jose Altadori. I, I bet you were up late watching this, were you? I actually wasn't, no. Oh, okay. Um, no. Did Sorry. you see the Liga MX second leg of the final? No. Okay, well, let me tell you that Tigres... It was Monterey and Tigres, which is a derby, of course. 1-1 one, one, the first one, with nine yellows, two reds. A second leg... It was played in a freezing rain, that, that, that one. The second leg uh, was 2-1 to Tigres, who pick up their sixth Liga MX final. More complete coverage of Mexico's top division uh, when it resumes play uh, next season. Uh, Germany, Rafa. Yes. Another defeat for Dortmund. Nine without a win. And then also without Peter Bosch now, because he finally got the bullet. I'm intrigued by their choice of a replacement. Well, you will be intrigued to learn that it's Peter Stöger. Yes. Who jokingly himself said when he was appointed by Dortmund, you in safe hands have won three points all season. Because <laughs> he's he'd just, been fired. He's literally just been fired by the bottom club in the league. Yes, Cologne, who had picked out three points with him. Dortmund, so, Dortmund have looked beyond that. They approached him in the summer. He was already on on uh, on their shortlist. Uh, they feel he's somebody with his very calm, mm, very genial kind of way will just bring a bit of stability to the dressing room. And I don't think it is seen as a long term solution. Okay, but more of a stopgap to then appoint Julian Nagelsmann. There's really strong indications now in Germany that Nagelsmann is going to be the successor, which throws the spanners in the work for Bayern a little bit because mm. they for a long term would have been happy to to see him succeed Ancelotti but they weren't quite in a position I think to offer him the job right now so Peter Bosch getting fired now might actually still work out for in Dortmund's favours in the long run because it might be the, the, the gateway to securing the best coach in Germany. I see. Um, by the way, this weekend there was a certain amount of talk about Obama Yang and Everton. It, was that just people pulling names out of the air? It sounds like it, yeah. Okay, the good. Story was, the story was sold as, apart from the headline, was sold as Sam Allardyce wants Pierre-Emerick Obama Yang, which okay. is not, it's not strictly news, is it? Because I think every mid-table Premier League manager would want... Yeah, Emmerich, Aubameyang. All right, OK. Uh, now, while Bayern uh, go eight points clear at the top of the Bundesliga with a 1-0 win over Frankfurt, Leipzig only drawing 2-2 with Mainz. Let's have a quick word about then the Europa League draw. Dortmund have drawn Atalanta. Can I just quickly mention Please. that Cologne, the ex-club of, of Peter Stöger, were involved mm. in one of the most amazing games of the season. 
um, in the so-called final against Freiburg, who also struggling at the bottom of the table. They were 3-0 up and then managed to, to lose 4-3. Freiburg scoring two penalties in the last minute. No, two penalties in the last minute. Yes. Um, so the bounce hasn't quite materialised after changing the manager. Right. Who, who, who knows how badly they, they would have lost if... <laughs> Peter Stuger was yeah. there, yeah. So it's not it's not good news for Cologne. It looks as if they're doomed. I mean, three points in December, right. that is... That stings for Cologne, it's bad. doesn't it? Yeah. It's bad. Huh. Anyway, all right. Well, let, let's talk about the Europa League then because there's some interesting draws uh, for the German sides. Uh, two German sides still in action here, uh, impressively. Uh, Leipzig, who've drawn Napoli, and Dortmund, who've got Atalanta, who are, hands down, the revelations of this tournament so far. How worried are you, Rafa? How worried should I be, James? Well, I think Atalanta are excellent. You talk about the United dressing rooms a la Burnley, but there's no question that the Bergamaschi are 100% united under Gasparini. We all know and enjoy Papu Gomez, but there's so much quality throughout that side. I think they... Uh, we'll have to see where they are when... When's the Europa League back up again? February, like the Champions Same League? Same time, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that stadium, it's like a proper packed... Old-fashioned stadium. stadium. Yeah. <laughs> Atleti... De... Right. Uh, Milan, meanwhile, getting uh, Ludogorets, uh, which is a <laughs> fair summary of their season, some people would say. Uh, but but anyway, yeah, so I, I quite fancy Atalanta to uh, to do, do Dortmund. Would you fancy Napoli to do Leipzig? No, because that's I'm who they're sure. playing. But yeah, they should do. But I'm... I'm do, I just have this growing impression that Napoli very much flattered to deceive and... If the Champions League wasn't enough to distract them from their league campaign, I'm not sure if the Europa League uh, will be. Mm. I mean, you'd say that Napoli were the stronger team, but it is worrying how often this great footballing side gets beaten by teams that supposedly don't play anything like as good football. And, you know, we saw that throughout the Champions League group stages, hence their presence in the, in the Europa League. Elsewhere in the Europa League last <clears throat> 32, Celtic. Daniel, who have they got? They've got Zenit St. Petersburg, which means I suspect they're also going to go out of Europe at the first stage in this competition as well. There isn't the domestic competition to sustain them, to keep them um, at a high enough level so right. that when they come up against a decent team in Europe, they get picked off. And I think the same will probably happen. Here. Right. The, that, that, that two months of not really playing any football over the winter will prove as, as dramatic for Celtic as it will for Zenit. Absolutely. Yeah. OK. Uh, and... And Arsenal, Arsenal, they've only gone and drawn Graham Potter's Ostersunds in the round of 32. Johnny Blaine tweeting, for those of you who haven't heard of them, they're a small club from North London. <laughs> He's a Spurs fan. Uh, uh, but, but anyway, tell us about Ostersunds, somebody. They probably must be the most written about Swedish side in history. They've got Graham Potter as the manager and it is a wonderful story. He took over with them in the fourth division. He's very quickly got them to the top flight and won the Swedish Cup, hence their participation in the Europa League. And they were given not even a fighting chance and they got through that group as well. They beat Galatasaray to even reach the group stages and they've gone through from that. This will be where their journey ends, but without being incredibly patronising, and I will be, um, quite like Lincoln last season, it's great that they're going to have this big game to sell themselves after a magnificent run because it stops them being, it stops it kind of dissipating you know, on the wind, it means they get this blowout occasion that they deserve and that mm. Graham Potter deserves and it will give him a chance to to improve his job prospects in English football. Um, yeah, it, the, to me, the last 32 of the Europa League always feels like it needs a few stories to sell it on because it can be a, a bloated competition at that stage. Um, but this is the best of the lot, I think. Well, that's very much the football. Time now to get the odds from Paddy Power with Ian McIntosh. Thanks, Jimbo. Right, time for Paddy's Movers and Shakers with Mr Paddy Power himself. Paddy, how are you? Wonderful. I have to say, Movers and Shakers is about right after this party season I'm having in the run up to Christmas. <laughs> it's not pretty on the dance floor, it, but it's it, on the dance floor nonetheless. Is it starting to take its toll now? Uh, yeah, I, I'm starting to realise that all that hard work and preparation I've done during the year for this run into Christmas is all paying off now. The stamina is still there, thank God. Uh, you're an athlete, Paddy, an athlete. <laughs> uh, talking of athletes, of course, uh, City, 11 points clear. Is it over? Yeah. You, you did something last week that suggests you think it's over. Yeah, it is. I mean, last week they were 1-9 to nine to win it, which, like, just to, to put it in perspective, that's like uh, 90% likely to win the league. 
and uh, and we actually paid out them. I think it was last Thursday, so before the Manchester derby, which is taking a bit of a risk, obviously, because if United had won and closed the gap up, and Liverpool had won everything, and everybody would have closed the gap. But uh, as it turned out, they just went and did what I guess we would kind of expect them to do, and and kind of showed their class. And they're, they're now one to twenty-five. So we actually paid out on City last Thursday to win the league in advance of anyone who backed them. But they're into one to twenty-five now, which is like ninety-six percent likely to win. And now the odds have been wrong before, but you got to say they do look pretty good. I mean, you got you got to take your hat off them and say, okay, they're playing nice football and they're and they're deservedly clear at the top of the league. Let's look elsewhere for a, for a bet then. Um, Burnley just don't stop winning. They're only two points off the Champions League places. What can I get on a top four finish for Sean Dyche? Well, I tell you, you'd be pretty happy about this because, yeah, even though it's, it's unlikely that they're going to last there to the end of the season, we would think, because they're 175 to 1 to finish in the top four. So it's uh, it's still a huge, huge price. You got to think at some stage they'll hit a run, a bad run against the big teams or something, and then they might drop back a bit. But at the moment, things are flying for them. And if you are a Burnley fan and you are optimistic like yourself, like you sound you are yourself, I think uh, it's a big, big price, 175 to 1 to be top four. Talking of a bad run, Stoke lost again. What are the odds on them going down? The good news for Stoke is that they are ninth in the list to go down but the bad news is it's still only 6-1 to one. so it's, it's it, I guess the good thing is there's lots of other teams that are struggling around them as well but they got a proper hide didn't they it was kind of an embarrassment but yeah they're 6-1 to one to go down now and I think it's it's all's not pretty there but yeah, I kind of a Stoke fan all you can kind of hope for is mid-table mediocrity isn't it and finally um, two more goals for Harry Kane this weekend that's 12 for the season in the Premier League now is he still favourite to be top goal scorer? Yeah, the only surprise is actually it feels like more than 12 even, doesn't it? Because it seems like every week he's first goal scorer. Every week he scores at least one, maybe two. And he's uh, he's 7-4 to favourite now on 12. And I, I think one of the interesting things about this, Mark, we say like how good City are and, and like how dominant they are as a team. But funny, the second favourite is Mo, uh, is Mo Salah for Liverpool is 7-2, to second favourite to be top scorer. And it's funny, Aguero and Jesus are next, but they're like only third and fourth favourites. So City obviously share the goals around, but... Well, Harry Kane scores them all for Tottenham, but you got to think, yeah, it's a good season for Tottenham so far. It's going to continue to be, and, and Kane's going to be their, their, the talisman. So, yeah, 7-4 to four is probably a realistic price, to be honest. You can get those odds and more at paddypower.com. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And remember, when the fun stops, stop. Uh, and we're going to stop now, actually. Christoph, how can people who want to know more about the crazy world of Belgian football and footballers follow you on social media? Well, they just have to follow at HLN in England and they will follow my tweets. But it's mostly Premier League stuff that I tweet right. about the Belgians. But because, yeah, Twitter is not really big in Belgium. Is no, it not? No, no, no. It's really, really small. So oh. people are not tweeting in Belgium. They're all on Facebook and on Snapchat. Really? Yeah, my, no. maybe they're just uh, using all MSN and stuff like that still. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, good. Anyway, but it's at... HLN in England. England with an E in between uh, oh, okay. the Belgian, the Belgian way. Oh, yeah. you can just do Christoph, K R. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, we're not going to start that one. All right, Terreur. All right, excellent. Daniel, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. And yourself, Mr. Honigstein. Thank you, James. Thank you for setting some issues straight. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, we'll be back on Thursday talking about the midweek football. It just does not stop, listeners. And hopefully you won't too, joining us here on the Totally Football Show. Bye for now. Listener.